Welcome to Women in Sustainability, the podcast where we speak with some of the world's foremost female professionals from across the sustainability field, with me, your host, Emily Fripp. In this episode, I'm talking to Carolina Brando, who works for the World Economic Forum, leading the public sector engagement work for the Tropical Forest Alliance. We'll be discussing the work of women in the policy space, its evolution over the years in multi-stakeholder partnerships, in dialogue and engagement, and ultimately delivering social impact in the field of sustainability. Hi, Carolina. It's fabulous to have you with us today um, and joining us on, on our chat about women and sustainability. Um, as you know, this is something that Africa um, started and um, earlier this year to celebrate all the great work that women that we're, are doing in this field of sustainability and, and environment and um, all the global action. And I think over the last few years, I've had the pleasure of working with yourself and with a number of really inspirational women. And it felt like such a great opportunity to to touch base, to, to talk to people and find out about their experiences and what's going on and, and how things have changed, where the challenges are, what we can do together um, moving forward. And and so, I, uh, yeah, huge, huge thank you for taking the time out and, and talking us, to us today. And we've worked together now for a couple of years with the Tropical Forest Alliance, and we'll hear a little bit more about that. Um, but but yes, so so thank you. And and how are you doing today in the great tropical heat of of that we're facing across Geneva? I guess at the moment. I mean, it's it's pretty hot everywhere. Yeah. So firstly, thank you for having me. And I've said this to you before, but this is a great initiative. So. So really, really thanks for the invitation and it's a pleasure to, to have this conversation. And yes, it's really hot in Geneva right now. It feels very tropical, even though uh, we're in Europe. And, and I mean, your Brazilian background, Portuguese Brazilian. Yes. yes. And so sort of this burning, burning forest is something, unfortunately, that we know a little bit too much about. Um, and uh, but we can come back back to that um, in a bit, but you know, like I said, um, the sort of women and, and gender balance, getting involvement of of women across the board, is something that we both have been working with in different platforms and arenas, and trying to raise the profile of women in those conversations. I know it's something I feel very passionately about, and I and I feel that you do too. I mean, you've you've already sort of had a very um, sort of empowering career, really, to date, from sort of building. Um, from your degree with the, in Paris and then now with the World Economic Forum where you've been for the last three years and you sort of lead this, this space of bringing together actors from policy, from companies and, and directors across, um, across the globe and across commodities and across all these different um, actors, I guess. I mean, and it's a challenging world. Um, the work that we did together on the UK government uh, with the UK government on the fact dialogue um, and then leading into some of that global commodity tr- sort of supply chain issues. And we were trying to get the voices of women and the voices of livelihoods and communities present on a global platform. And it's really difficult to do. Um, so you're, you're, you're there, you're at the forefront of all of these global discussions. Um, and you've had some really complicated and complex dialogues to handle. Um, was this always the plan for you in your career? Was it to sort of 
come to this level and, and be involved in this sort of international dialogue space? Is that where you aspired to be when you sort of first left university and thought, oh no, I'll go and work in the field of sustainability now with lots of important people? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I think when I look back at my career and everything that I've done, it has not, at least now I look at it and say, oh, it has not been really linear for a person that's looking at it from the outside world, even though I feel internally that everything makes sense and one thing led to another. But um, I did not always work on sustainability. I've jumped around a little bit. Uh, when I was in Brazil, after I graduated, I, I spent six, I think almost seven years working on education, uh, which is a completely different um topic even though it's related uh, but doing evaluations of social projects in education and so that gave me an opportunity to travel all across Brazil and really get to know Brazil because um, I'm originally from Sao Paulo which is a very particular area and Brazil is very big and there are lots of differences between the regions and so on and so doing that work and traveling all over the country really gave me a chance to get to know my own my own country and what are the issues and and um, how how can we work for for a better future for 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 my people essentially, but as I was doing this, the thing that I realized was that um, lots of the questions and lots of the problems and lots of the issues that were coming up were issues that uh, are similar in other parts of the world, or the hurdles and the challenges. Um, for that we that we were facing to to achieve solutions were were similar hurdles that other nations were were facing, and so that led me to to want to do international relations and to take the conversation to a different level, essentially. Um, so I went to Paris for my masters, and the reason I went to Paris is actually because um, I, I went to Sciences Po, which, which is a really, really interesting and amazing university. But I had also, beyond my background in, in, in social sciences and, and education and so on, I also had a background in the arts. And I know that the French take a lot of pride in culture and arts, and they value that quite a bit. So I knew that um, all of that previous experience would essentially be be valued. If I had gone somewhere else, people would not know what to make of me, essentially. <laughs> and so it made a lot of sense to, to, to go to Paris. And from, from there, I think um, lots of different doors started to open because it's a center of power, essentially. And so you access different places that uh, back home in Brazil, I might not have been able to access um, by myself, which is the nature of global power and, and politics and so on. That's, that's the nature of the game, unfortunately. It, 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 fascinating and bringing together those, those different dynamics and aspects in how we evolve and things we take from different spaces is, is really fascinating to then come in. And I always find it interesting when you're having a conversation with somebody and you think I've got absolutely nothing in common with with them, and then you actually find that the issue you're talking about resonates across a whole array of different topics and sectors and spaces. And a lot of the time, it's about 
empowering people, giving people the opportunity to think, to have a voice, to action something. And it doesn't matter what the topic is. If you bring people together to talk and discuss, you can solve a whole lot more. And I do think women, we're slightly better at doing that sometimes. I think it's how we're socialized. We're, we're socialized to, to listen, right? We're socialized to, to pay attention to what other people are saying, to, to try to figure out their emotions um, and to figure out our own emotions as well and relate to other people. We need, we need that, that sort of um, network and, and, and constant level of transactions. And, and, and so... Yeah, go ahead. And, no, and, and reading the room, isn't it? It's sort of being able to kind of sort of feel what what's going wrong. And that's something that I struggled with moving into the world of Zoom. Initially, it's it's kind of easier is yeah. is losing that sort of people contact and, and yeah, because you can sense that person's not on board. How do we bring them into the conversation? Whereas, yeah. yes, and, and I do think maybe not, not all women and certainly, you know, converse, not all men, um, you know, sort of, are unable to do that or, or sort of you know, read the room and bring it in. It's, it's a skill. And it's obviously something that you've, you've had to do a lot in your work with um, the World Economic Forum and the, the Tropical Forest Alliance and, you know, the, the global outreach, the platforms, um, the level of international dialogue and the build-up to COP26 last year was, was pretty intense and, and phenomenal. But along the way, do you think there have been sort of some standout... Um, figures um male or female that you think have sort of got it right and you've sort of gone oh you know that's that's a real inspiration and the right way to bring a room together or a conversation or a sort of leading woman I don't I mean that might be too much to put you on the spot and you know without naming names well I mean I think in the work that we do which is bringing together partners and multilateral collaboration and uh, multi-stakeholder collaboration. Um, I think we come across really interesting characters all the time from all walks of life and from and who hold different perspectives all the time. And our job is to essentially try to bridge those conversations because even though a lot of the times we're talking about one thing, um, people speak in different languages. That, yeah. that may be literally literally and figuratively, right? So it's for us, I think it's a lot about um, being conscious of that and trying to and trying to weave that into um, collaborative work, essentially. Um, the work that we do with the Tropical Forest Alliance and the forum is a lot about that. It's it's building those public-private partnerships and those multilateral collaborations. And so um, I think the listening part of it is, is one skill that you cannot do without. Mm. Um, and being able to speak all different languages, meaning you have to speak with the private sector, you have to sp speak with NGOs, you have to speak... Um, with governments and uh, even though we're dealing with the same thing people understand different things because of where they are in the equation and and how that how that hits them uh, how that problem impacts them so um, I think I've been inspired by a number of different people but last year in particular uh, we were part of a really special project which was uh, the COP26 
journey and the fact dialogue. And what we were trying to build there is um, was a huge endeavor in terms of trying to bring um, voices and perspectives from different areas right in in sustainability or commodity driven deforestation people who are dealing with this both from an ngo perspective as well as from the private sector um from global north and global south and um for me in particular having fabiola mm. being a part of the process who i know you're also interviewing uh for for this series which is amazing great was really inspiring um, because she's a person that has, she knows how to talk to the private sector, but she is also doing grassroots focused work and she's been in government. So it's a really interesting mix and she's able to inspire a room in a way that sometimes we end up missing out on in, in our conversations because we're, we're um, dealing with technical things and uh, in negotiations, especially um, the negotiations that were taking, that, that were happening for, for the COP campaigns and the COP process itself. It's very, it's very serious and formal. And um, sometimes we get so attached to technicalities that we forget the why, why yeah. we're doing this in the first place. And Fabula was always able to, to um, get in there and, and bring that out in a way that I think put everyone in a better place to go on and start negotiating and start to do the work and whatever it was. And it's very few people that I think are able to do this. So, so to hear her, uh, this really amazing woman from Peru, um, do that in these spaces that are really more northern male dominated mm -hmm. without blinking, <laughs> without, without thinking twice about it and being really, really thoughtful mm. was incredibly inspiring um, to me and I think to others as well, I hope. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, your, your background sort of when you're in Brazil and, you know, like say she came from Peru and the, the ministerial role I mean the conversation has been very male um, in, in terms of politics and we're talking we're talking politics and large corporations and business and trying to then link up with indigenous groups people farmers individuals and they sometimes the women get a voice but more often in all of those parts of that narrative the, the leading voice is, is very male, like traditionally within sort of communities, it might be the male speaks up. And we came across some amazing women leading community debates, which was brilliant. Have you, do you think, I mean, so, I mean Brazil, you, you automatically think of a, a pretty strong male uh, energy, shall we say, about the phrase. Have you seen, have you seen it change over the last sort of, few years or decades that sort of balance coming across from not just in Brazil but sort of into these international conversations so I think globally what we see now and, and I think there was UN research on this not too long ago that I think 67 percent of decision-making positions on climate change are occupied by by men rather than women, which is really staggering. But, I mean, it's 
it's what we're seeing every on a daily basis, right? Mm -hmm. um, even though research also shows that when women are adequately represented in those decision-making spaces, there's a positive impact on sustainable um, natural resource management and, and climate change adaptation and so on. Um, so it's, it's, it's a hurdle still that we have to, that we have to tackle. And um, I think we've come a long way in terms of actually noticing that this is a problem. Because before, when you were when you would see like panels, <laughs> all male panels, or or all these really important meetings where decisions that are going to affect all of us are being taken, and it's all men doing making those decisions, we didn't used to think that this was a problem, or we didn't used to see that this was a pro problem. It was a given, right? So I think now. We, we see that this is an issue and whenever we see something like this, immediately we say, okay, something is wrong here. But the fact of the matter is, is that those conversations, those manuals and so on, they're still happening. That's still mostly the case, even though there's a lot more research on the connection of, of uh, how women are impacted by climate change and, and how uh, when they're in decision making positions, they can be um, they can be more helpful in terms of long term sustainability goals. Um, it's interesting how we've we've worked very hard to sort of try and get women involved in those conversations. Almost how do we get women into those male-dominated conversations rather than think, how do we make those male-dominated com conversations more inclusive of women? It's, it's how do we adapt to get into those conversations rather than how does that process change to include others? And, and I've definitely seen that shift so that it, there is a, a more inclusive thought process that goes into that whole whole mechanism versus I mean we've we've both seen it where you kind of go oh we don't have any women on this panel so where can we find one to put in and 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 that feels on one hand it's great and on the other hand it feels like you're ticking a box and I need somebody of a certain category to tick a box and I think slowly it is changing where you're you need to sort of bring people in because of they're good at what they they're doing I think all of us would agree I'd, I'd like to be on a panel but because I'm good at what I'm doing not because I I tick a certain box um, but this I think also touches upon the question on societal perceptions of women and how that impacts um, the possibilities of leadership or those positions because uh, we still have the image of the leader as 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 a, a white male. Like that exudes um, authority in our mind. And when we see a, a, a woman sometimes in positions of power, we judge it differently, or we don't grant her the same authority that we would grant a man. And I think. I mean, this has implications, especially uh, within uh, scientific studies, for example, like who gets quoted uh, in scientific studies. And so one thing leads to another. And then there's this pool of we only uh, consider these men or these important men. They are important, but we, we keep going back to them because we think that they are the only ones that are able to solve this. And so how do we how do we change that perception as well to to be a little bit broader and have um, ideas of authority or leadership 
that are more female? What does it mean to be to be a female leader? Do you have to do you have to have the same qualities as a man? And do women have to have the same qualities as a man to to be able to to make those decisions? No, there there are other qualities that we that we bring to the table. So I think now we're starting to realize that, um, but it's still it's still an uphill battle. Right. You asked me about Brazil, where most of the of the political spaces are male dominated, but you have a really strong um, female feminist movement coming up, trying to occupy uh, occupy those spaces of power as well, um, and try and doing the work of of uh, breaking those stereotypes and trying to build a different a different future a different reality. So I think it's it's ongoing work uh, at a grassroots level. This is happening, and we see from our our, our day to day lives as well. When we see when we think about who are uh, some of the main environmental defenders at a grassroots level, it's it's a lot of women. Mm. Right. And it's also the women that are being silenced and that uh, are more prone to gender based violence. So um, it's something that we have to nurture and take care of. But it is happening. Uh, the, the problem is that it's still not being reflected at the political level. So the 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 World Economic Forum just put out the global gender gap report for this okay. year. And for women, I think the, it'll take 132 years to reach parity between men and women, which is, uh, I think last year was 136, and now we're 132, which is not a great improvement. Um, and on political empowerment in particular, it's even worse. It's 155 years to reach parity, the, the research found. And so... It is, it's an uphill battle, but it's one that we have to continue to do. Um, and so whenever we have women coming into these, these uh, positions of power or these spaces, I always um, want to bring somebody else with you, <laughs> bring, bring the sorority with you, you know, build, build those relationships and support because at every step of the way, there's something that um, is telling you not to do it. Or there's something that will make it more difficult for you to do, and yet you you still have to keep going because it's it's the right thing to do, and it's it's your voice deserves to be heard. So um, that's what I try to do. That's what inspires me when I see other people do it. Um, yeah, I, they're staggering statistics, aren't they? I mean, yeah. we 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 think back to sort of. Um, well, when women get the vote, and I mean, in Switzerland, that was a long time after the rest of the world as well, yeah. um, and was actually pretty recent, which scarily recent. And we can watch things around the globe almost going backwards at the same time as as needing to progress, um, and and also give that due respect and and yeah, and just enable the voices to be heard. I mean, do you do you find that sort of coming at these topics with the background you've had, the years of going, um, doing the schools, the education type stuff in and working on that social educational work in, in the field in Brazil and then coming into an arts university. Do you feel that gives you a sort of advantage when you come into these conversations of how you can then bring these things together? Or do you, 
I mean, has it been a hindrance in other forums where, you know, sometimes if you haven't got the right CV and the right credentials and, and things, you can not move forward or universities give you the networks, as you said earlier, to get you into the right jobs? Um, I think when I was in Brazil and I wanted to start doing uh, international work, I definitely didn't have the CV for it. And so going to, to France, it wasn't actually uh, an arts university, it's a political science university, but because of the way that they look at art, it made sense um, to, to, to go there. And I think for me, that opened a lot of doors. I started working on global health with uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in France, something that I would not have been able to do were I not in that space already. Um, I think it's much more difficult. Um, um, uh, and what my previous experience brought to me, I think, is the awareness that things can be different, <laughs> that there are people that do things in a different way. So um, if and if someone is saying something, they're they're also talking from their particular standpoint. So how can we bridge that and try to link up with other other perspectives, other standpoints. Um, so for me, I think coming from, from where I came from, what that allowed me to do was to be sure that there are always different conversations to be had and to not take one perspective as, be, as it being the, the sole truth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because especially now the work that we're doing uh, uh, in in terms of trying to bridge north and south and and the priorities from the global north with the priorities of the global south. I mean, if if you if you're not aware of where the other person is coming from, it the conversation is not going to flow. It's not going to happen. No, I mean, these are. Uh, it's all about the relationships. It's all about the conversations, isn't it? And it's all about that nuance of language. And like you say, really understanding where someone's coming from, not only to give them a voice, but to recognise, well, when that voice perhaps, when one voice might need to be em emphasised more than another voice. And how do we balance that out? And how do we, like you say, make sure that there's no dominating sort of theme or, or, or rhetoric through a conversation is really is really important. I mean, it's, it's been fascinating. And I know we're sort of drawing the end of our sort of, uh, of our podcast chat, but I mean, the opportunities are there. I mean, we've, we've got a big challenge. Where do you see the sort of best opportunities coming and how can we make the most of them? How can we try and continue to build on, on this great work that's that's coming? I mean, and hopefully make it faster than 153 or 155 years of, of sort of parity required. I think, well, now is the time when we're more aware of these issues and there's more research and data to back it up something that I think wasn't the case before. Um, so I do believe that the problem is still the same. We, we've just chipped at the, at the edges, but now we have the data <laughs> to, to back up uh, what we're trying to do and to, and to really help us actually be very clinical about where solutions are needed and, and what do we need to do to, to, to achieve the greatest impact. So I think now we have those tools. It's about, picking them up and, and using them. And also, I mean, we're talking about positions of power and decisions.
decision-making, um, it's something that we have to fight for, right? Nobody like, likes to, to give away power. And so once those little spaces open, we need to get in, walk in, <laughs> sit down at the table. If the table doesn't work, we'll turn it, we'll do something else. But we actually need to occupy those spaces. Um, granted that these are difficult spaces to to get into. So that's why I think that whenever whenever we see other women doing really great work and and uh, trying to open up those spaces, we need to actually support them or or um, try to lift them up as much as possible or use them as inspiration because also we need we need that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's been a, a, a real pleasure working with you and your team in uh, over the last couple of years because we were able to do that in, in spaces that were really male dominated. But um, I think I, I could understand your vision and I think you could understand mine. And even though we have very different backgrounds and we come from very different places, there's a connectivity there. Right. And I think it's super special to, to recognize it and to and to pay it forward and and continue to build on it essentially so yeah I, I couldn't agree more and and just finally you know the, the next generation coming coming through and coming up in in this sustainability field I think you know both men and women you know what would be your words of wisdom if you could to to women following in your footsteps um I'm not sure it's any anything super wise but it's just now is the time to to step up. Your voice is incredibly needed. We don't have a lot of time to to reverse the 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 outcomes of where we're going right now. So we need uh, everyone on board, and we need all the help that we can get. And so, if you have an inkling, if you have uh, skills that you think could help, please, please, please join and and make your voice heard as well, because. Um, Now's the time. If we don't, if you, if we don't get on a better path now, I don't think we're going to have a second chance. So um, that would be that would be my my advice. Go for it. Uh, uh, fantastic. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today and and sharing sort of experiences and and snippets of the day-to-day life in which you work at that sort of policy complicated arena space and uh, you know you, you do an amazing job yourself and, and the TFA team and colleagues and like you say some of the women we've worked with um, in the build-up to COP in particular there were some phenomenal people that we were lucky enough to to have in our in our task force and sharing through their voices as well and you know, let, let's hope we continue to provide that platform to to them and their voices, and and share the share the the sort of knowledge and the capacity to do this as a conversation. I don't think we're talking about taking over the planet. We're just talking about having a balanced, um, more representative. And like you say, you know, the solutions for all of this come from everybody, um, and yeah. not from one particular person or or subsect of people in wherever we are. So um, that's been brilliant thank you again um and yes and we will we will be sharing this um with you all soon (laughs) thanks so much emily thanks for having me pleasure a huge thank you to carolina and thank you for listening 
If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and we hope you can join us soon for another episode. Episodes come out on the 8th of every month. Next time, we'll be chatting to Bibi Laluz Gonzalez, international political economist and founder and director of Eat Better Wake, a non-profit designed to generate food awareness and actions to reduce malnutrition. We hope you'll join us soon.